Darwin's theory of evolution from ape to man, while once accepted by most, it's now highly questioned, with new discoveries and lost knowledge being uncovered. When you start carbon dating items and you find that they overlap more than considerably, how do we have the Stone Age of mankind coexist with what appears to be an advanced technological race? How can we jump from stone wheels, clubs, and axes to building elaborate, precision-designed archways and pyramids? It just doesn't seem to add up. Yet across the world in all different cultures, there are similarities of stories of creation and beings that are far too similar to be ignored. Ancient Sumerian writings are the oldest of any written knowledge, and even they share stories of travelers from the heavens who shared knowledge, wisdom, and technology. Join us tonight as we attempt to assemble the ancient puzzle pieces left behind by possibly our ancestors in the story of the Anunnaki. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Iraq, April 10th, 2003. United States forces make their way towards the capital city of Baghdad. Just three weeks after the launch of Iraqi freedom, American troops attempt to take control of the chaos and make some form of order. But looters raid the streets and ransack museums and shops, stealing or destroying hundreds if not thousands of priceless artifacts. Looters force their way into the National Museum stealing all sorts of artifacts, including musical instruments, devices, sewn tablets, with writings and pictographs, all from a time frame of ancient Sumeria, going back up to 6,000 years prior. The genealogies of the gods and the stories of such unique history were lost, being stolen or being destroyed by these raiders, including the Sumerian version of the Great Flood. Now, these atrocities were not done by common folks. There's actual video footage and eyewitnesses' accounts of many of these raiders, as we'll call them, with sophisticated earpieces, walkie-talkies, radios, bulletproof vests, and weapons. They didn't just smash through a window, grab and run. They launched a full-blown assault on specific locations such as the National Museum with what appeared to be a well-laid-out plan, broaching complex double-locked doors, even vaults. Now you might ask yourself, why would such a militant group steal and destroy such key pieces? Welcome to Conspiracy Theory 101. Some people believe the entire war in Iraq was just a disguise. For this, the erasure or censorship of historical recorded events that are so different from what we have all been told or taught in any school. It did seem to work to obliterate this forbidden knowledge, regardless of the conspiracy theory, if it's correct or not, or if it was just truly a casualty of war. But we'll get into that a little later. What exactly was destroyed or stolen later on here in the podcast, you're going to find out, and you can be the judge. Well, I want to say, 
before we get too much further, but I am a man of science. So when you talk about evolution and all that, that's where my heart lies. And so I'm not going to say that, that I think any of this refutes it, but it is an interesting story. And, you know, I, I'd heard of the Anunnaki before we got to this, this topic and didn't really understand their importance or the fact that I hadn't heard about them more often than even I thought you I even had. consider it. Being, you know, there, yeah. there's, there's references to Marduk who I had, mm-hmm. had heard of previously. A lot of these religious figures and really this, this story kind of weaves its way in and out of history pre-recorded history and, and even all the way up into modern day, if you believe some of the stuff that, that I found. I mean, you're talking, we're going back to pre-biblical days all the way up to... Literally the origins of man. The, the origins of man all the way up into, you know, was Obama a descendant of the Anunnaki working yep. for alien forces? Yep. So, And I will be the first to say, and, and Bill and I were talking before we started recording, as he put the Anunnaki, I guarantee you, you've heard stories about all of you have, but you didn't realize it is now being attributed well, I was to say, the Anunnaki. Let, let's say that the Anunnaki can be figured into a lot of stories. It depends on if you want to draw those connections or not, right. really. You know, basically any powerful person throughout history or any person with so-called mystical abilities or people whose technology seemed to be ahead of its time could be tied back into this. Atlantis. I mean, it just goes on and on. And I will, I will continue my sentence that we're going to talk about some things. And, and again, we're not saying we believe all of this because, boy, buckle up. It, this, this ride gets crazy than the craziest stuff. The, the conspiracy theory level here is on a scale from 1 to 10, a 20 in well, some you, instances. You, you tie a lot into this. You have the... the creation of man by alien beings, the whole ancient astronauts storyline. You have, you know, these advanced civilizations that have since disappeared. I mean, all the way up into the destruction of our planet due to the Anunnaki homeworld. So it's pretty crazy. So I guess the question you have to ask first, who are the Anunnaki? Great question. So what I have is uh, a group of deities of the ancient Sumerians, Akkadians, Assyrians, and Babylonians, and they were believed to be the offspring of An and Ki. An and Ki were the god of heavens and the goddess of earth, respectively. And the primary function of the Anunnaki was to decree the fates of humanity, which, as we get into the story, you'll see that they were very heavy-handed in that. Mm -hmm. Now, the term Anunnaki literally translates in Sumerian to those who from heaven came to earth. Love that. And part of the lore, you know, the, they identified places in, in the heavens where the Anunnaki came from. So as their gods, the Sumerians said that their gods, the Anunnaki, came from somewhere else. They were not of earth. They were from somewhere else. Now, their home world, I believe, was called Nibiru. Mm-hmm. That's what I came across and, as well. Nibiru will figure into the, to my stuff later on. But that is where they came from. And Nibiru is on a weird elliptical orbit through our solar system. And so roughly every 3,600 years, Nibiru comes close enough to Earth for the people of Nibiru to interact with the people on Earth. And if, well, again, depending on the stories, and we'll get to that later, maybe even destroy the world. And the question is, and I'm sure you're going to touch on it more, I won't spoil it, but Nibiru isn't necessarily just a common planet or a moon. There's so much more possibly going on there. Well, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of different things there. The Anunnaki supposedly arrived on Earth for the first time 450,000 years ago. Now, why did they come to Earth? Well, the stories say 
They came to Earth in search of gold, which they needed to fix their home planet, Nibiru, the atmosphere of their home planet. Somehow use the gold to patch holes or something? Something about it being a a mono nucleus or something like that. I I didn't, there was some weird pseudoscience there. Yeah, I I didn't didn't totally understand it either. But anyhow, it was a way to repair their atmosphere kind of thing. Yeah. Now, as far as the Anunnaki go on Earth, there is very little evidence to indicate that there were cults dedicated to the Anunnaki. However, this is more than likely due to the fact that the Anunnaki were not worshipped as a group, but rather as individuals. The Anunnaki were not worshipped as the Anunnaki. They were worshipped as individuals within that group. And they are believed to be the first humanoid gods worshipped in human history. Like prior to that, gods were forces or they were, they were something that was not hu- human-like. The Anunnaki was the first time that a god appeared in a culture that was, this, this is a human-like figure that affects our destiny. From somewhere else. Yeah. And seriously, to me, this almost like ripped a page out of one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time, Stargate. <laughs> and then, of course, the spinoffs of SG-1 and all this. That essentially, in the movie tales, those would be examples of the Anunnaki. Yeah. So, the earliest known uses of the term Anunnaki does come from uh, inscriptions written during the Third Dynasty of Ur in Sumeria. And, you know, this group of deities was called the Gods Who Decree. And I have a, a list of, of the core first Anunnaki that, that arrived, showed up on our planet, which I have Anu and Antu, which is Anu's spouse, Enlil, Inki, Ninhursag, which were all children of Anu and Antu, Marduk, which was Inki's son, Ishkur, Sin, and Ninurta, who were the children of Enlil, and then Inanna, Shamash, and Nergal, who were Enlil's grandchildren. Now, if you, you listen to some of those names, in, in mythology or even pop culture, I know Marduk mm-hmm. is, is definitely referenced in some stories, and I believe he was in, in what, Deities and Demigods, the old D&D book. There was actually in the uh, Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, there was a warlord named Marduk, yeah. I believe. <laughs> and then uh, Nurgle, that's a name that's, that's been associated with some, some folklore. So, But uh, stories of the Anunnaki and their influence on humanity continue even, in t- even until this day. So people believe that, that they we're still being influenced by the Anunnaki and they're still taking part in our culture. So to piece together the story here that I have on Anunnaki, and I go way back into the ancient history and kind of work my way up a little bit, uh, these views were, were sort of solidified by Eric Van Daniken, who was a studio archaeologist, published a series of books starting with Chariot of the Gods, and then uh, Zachariah Sitchin, mm-hmm. who was a Jewish scholar, who looked into these ancient Sumerian tablets and began translating them. And he drew parallels and connections between uh, these ancient Sumerian tablets and the Bible and, and you know, he, other religious He studied works. these tablets for like over 30 years and came up with some really mind-boggling connections yeah. you know, in, in his interpretation. And, and the thing with, with Sitchin especially, you know, there's a lot of people that say that he didn't really translate certain things right or, or whatever. He was drawing conclusions that didn't really exist. But he seems to be the one who's built a lot of the story of the Anunnaki as we know them. So that's kind of where I get a lot of my stuff. But really, the idea is that they were ancient astronauts from another planet who visited Earth. And, you know, those sources use the Anunnaki to explain the origins of religions all over the world. You know, saying that contact with a more advanced alien race led to that race being worshipped as gods. And, and, you know, in, in Sumerian texts and even the Old Testament have evidence that helps point in that direction that these people came from somewhere else. And it is so strange that 
a similar story is being told from multiple sources, and especially at that time frame. I mean, travel wasn't what it is today, obviously, but India, Asia, Egypt, I mean, from all over the globe, there's so many similarities and stories of these ancient astronauts, we'll call them, yeah. or Anunnaki. Uh, there's just too many connections there to, to be ignored. So back to where they came from, the planet Nibiru, or you may sometimes hear it referred to as Planet X, depending on which theory, conspiracy you're listening to. Again, like I said, it has this weird orbit that, that keeps it away from the sun most of the time. It's on this weird elongated orbit. But every 3,600 years, it does come pretty close to Earth. And on one of these passes, the people of Nibiru realized there's gold on Earth. We and need that. They needed the gold, again, like I said, to kind of help help fix their atmosphere, atmosphere problem, whatever. And I think, depending on, again, your source, I think they had they were used to gold. They had mined gold before, but maybe they had used, depleted yeah. their gold source where they were from. So they were outsourcing. Now, just a little spoiler alert. Sitchin did believe that Nibiru was going to come back. Oh, yes. And said, even going into 2012 with the whole Mayan prophecy, he believed we were still about a thousand years away from their return. So he, he did believe they were on the way back. Now, anyway, 450,000 years ago, the Anunnaki show up on Earth and they built a base here on Earth which I believe the original base was named like Eden Prime or something like that along those lines, with the implication being, of course, that their their city was the Garden of Eden. The Eden, yes. And so that's the Eden you hear referenced. And, you know, I'll, I'll draw some more comparisons as we advance through this, and I'm sure Eric will have things to add too. But the idea was they were here to mine gold after discovering that our little planet was just rich with this precious metal. And, of course, they brought with them their own people to mine this gold. For some reason, the Anunnaki miners had become displeased with their working conditions. And so, according to Zachariah Sitchin, due to this, the Anunnaki got together, and I believe it's Inkil, who is the lead scientist of the Anunnaki. He took Anunnaki genetic material and genetic material from a little creature on, on our planet called Homo erectus, and he took and combined those, and through the techniques of in vitro fertilization, created a new race of beings. DNA manipulation. That, that are, you know, the humanity that we know of today. So the story here is that we were created to be slaves of the Anunnaki. They created us as a slave species just to mine gold for them. And this goes back to, I think, what, what Eric was talking about with these amazing advancements in humanity where, you know, this explains one, parts of the, the gap of the, the evolutionary tree. Like, how did we get from from ape to man, well, you know, the Anunnaki showed up and bridged that gap. Yeah, they're sharing their DNA, which had a lot more knowledge and wisdom. And yeah. then obviously they wanted to be able to equip us to think for ourselves and to do the best job we would as slaves, servants. Well, uh, yeah, to we, were, we were created to be a hardy slave service. So now the Anunnaki had to control this developing creature that it had made. And so through a sophisticated system of propaganda, which now we would say forms the basis of modern religion, they were able to control us. And so, you know, when the Anunnaki were here, according to Sitchin, they built the pyramids and, and the other monumental structures from around the ancient world. And of course, a lot of the ancient astronaut people believe, you know, hey, th this does point at like the pyramids couldn't have been built by ancient man or, or you know, there were, there were other things that, that too ancient much cultures. precision and yeah, everything, yeah. Well, there's other things too that ancient cultures had. A lot of them had seemed to have a really well- developed sense of, of our place in the universe. Uh, they had knowledge regarding space and other planets, stars and galaxies that have been, that we found in ancient carvings and temples and writings 
that they should not have had. For example, the Sumerians had maps of the orbits of other planets in the solar system and details of their positions and sizes relative to each other. Yeah, it's one thing to sit down here on Earth and look up at the stars at night and say, you know, hey, that star with that star and that star, if yeah. you connect it, it kind of looks like a horse but, or it kind of looks like this. But, yeah, this. but to have that type of knowledge. Well, with no telescopes with which to observe them, I mean, just looking at them with the naked eye, how do you do yeah, this? How? Why? Why? Why would you even do that? You know, apparently there have also been accurately detailed maps of Earth as seen from space found in Sumerian no, tablets we didn't have even airplanes back then. Yeah, that's a perspective which would have been impossible for them to obtain. So the Anunnaki, you know, stepped in. They shared their knowledge. They developed us as a, as a species into this hardy, intelligent species, you know, by, by hybridizing the, the DNA. And, and they shared with us some of this knowledge, of course, to make us a better slave race. But, you know, also the Anunnaki were said to have all this advanced technology. They had master computers which allowed them to communicate between space and Earth, which, uh, according to legend, you know, were located at Nippur in southern Iraq. So, again, it goes back to the Iraqi connection there. Uh, they had the ability to harness electricity. You'll see in ancient Sumerian carvings, you know, the, the Anunnaki, and then there'll be like a little tower in the middle with little bolts coming off yes. of it. That's an image that... And what else is that supposed to be? What is that supposed to be? Yeah. They had the ability to pump water, which they pumped from the Nile into a pool underneath the Great Pyramid, and then use the evaporation of said water as another power source within the pyramid. And it's my understanding you can test the, the stones inside the pyramid and find evidence of this. Yep. Now, let me jump in here. I, I will say, I, I've mentioned before, I was uh, brought up in a small rural church. My father was an elder. Uh, I've, I was a deacon for many years. And we're right here in the Bible Belt. I'll just, I'm going to come out and say this. This is an awkward situation that I even struggled with. But you hear a lot of these stories, and it's a different version of the origin of man, obviously, than the traditional Bible story. To that, I, I read a lot of articles, because I, I want to I totally understand this, and I want to go into it with an open mind, but I also don't want to get led astray. I came across an article that just blew my mind to connect this, and this is for some of our listeners out there. I, I know there's lots of you here in the Bible Belt, and you're like, you know, this is blasphemy. This is... You know, this is the, an opposite of the origin of man. Well, this gentleman, which I honestly, I don't even remember who wrote the article, but it's more about the context. He said, we are all too quick to judge and throw stones that our way is right and no one else's way can be considered. In the traditional Bible, obviously, God in the Garden of Eden created Adam and then a partner, Eve. In this article, he says, well, who's to say that God could not have been an Anunnaki. It literally translates from those, from the heavens who came down. Along those lines, and I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who actually labeled me as an atheist at one point in time for some reason. I don't feel that I am, but we were, we were arguing like, you know, evolution and science and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to have faith to believe in evolution. Well, I don't have to have faith because we can prove that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, was it the, the fruit fly? has such a short lifespan that you can watch evolution happen in, in real time. Gotcha. But I told him, I said, my belief and your belief don't have to be exclusive. One does not rule out the other. Correct. When I say evolution is just a series of random mutations that leads to something different, which you can, you can observe that. Like we've seen domesticated animals. We've, we've, like if you look back a hundred years ago and you look at a picture of what a pug used to look like versus what it looks like now, mm -hmm. that's evolution at work. But when I say random mutation, 
I mean, maybe that's the hand of God at work. Exactly. I'm not saying that there's no divinity there. And so the argument is, like you said, like in your case, you know, how, how many religions, how many religions in general have a central figure with lesser servitors, mm-hmm. whether that be Odin and the other gods of Norse mythology. Or hold on to your or, head here, disciples. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, God and, and the angels and the disciples or, you know, Zeus and the Greek gods on Olympus. You know, there's the central figure who, who, do, who is kind of in charge. Is it a case of potato, potato, tomato, tomato? Well, in a lot of, a lot of religious stories, regardless of your belief, have a apocalyptic flood that starts oh. over, which oh, yes. we're going to get to. Yep. Well, so many religious stories have so many common elements. When I was trying to figure out religion for myself, one of the, one of the things I said was just that, like, maybe everybody's right. Right. They just interpret it through their lens. It is but because so much, we're not calling it the labels we grew up with, then you must be wrong. Yeah, we're not talking about Odin and Thor, but, you know, whatever. Maybe you're just translating it the best way you can with the knowledge you have. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, that's the Anunnaki story. You know, these powerful entities, the Egyptian gods figure into the, the story a great deal. And I mean, ultimately, the Anunnaki shared knowledge. Well, what did... God, what did Jesus, what did Moses, what did Noah, what and did all these people do? to advance us. Yes. So, and again, I mean, then that also goes, you know, medical science or whatever, you know, those religions that are like, well, you know, God didn't invent that. Well, God invented the people who did, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know. Why are we still arguing about this? So, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so, like I said, you know, just because two things don't necessarily look like they're working towards the same goal, maybe. Maybe it's the same story, just filtered a different way. But that, that article just caught me so off guard because I, I, I am that person. I'm kind of there on the ledge and it's like, oh man, this is just not what I was taught. Yeah. And then when I read that, it's like, whoa. So, so back to the, the technology of the Anunnaki, I talked about the water pumps and electricity. They had the ability to harness atomic power and there is evidence in, in some ancient holy sites of there was an atomic cataclysm at some point. So... Now, how did that happen? Well, what is it? Um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. Where, where Sodom would have been. There is evidence that that was a nuclear explosion. Totally wiped out in fire. And the idea that you would turn and turn it, you know, if you looked at it, you would turn to a pillar of salt. Well, if you're close enough to a nuclear explosion, yeah, yeah you're, you're going to be vaporized. And, and, and one of the things I found really neat, and if you look at the Sumerian carvings, it's really, it's, it's, if you look at it and you use this little piece of knowledge, you can see it 100%. So Inki, again, back to Inki, the chief scientist of the Anunnaki, he developed portable computers. He had a portable computer, a portable device, which he unintentionally shared with humanity on accident during a moment of lust with Inanna. I don't know who she is, but she must have been impressive. Quite the looker. But these portable computers are seen in their artwork, like I said. If you look at the wrists. I was going to say, is this the guy I've seen with, it? I mean, it looks like a wristwatch like he's a watch. wearing? Yeah. If you look at their wrists, all the Anunnaki seem to have, there's drawings I've seen. Um, other Very detailed. But all the Anunnaki seem to have these deals on both wrists that look like what we'd call a watch. Yeah. And supposedly they were portable computers that allowed them to interact with their machines. And I mean, I say that as I sit here with an Apple watch on my wrist that I can talk to and make phone calls with. Apparently, when the Anunnaki went to war, they used fighters, bombers, and other weapons of mass destruction, just as we do. They also had uh, climate changing weapons, which we may have talked about once before. Mm-hmm. They call them harp style, harp yep. biological weapons. 
I mean, if you think about all these devices that I'm talking about here, we Nothing's eventually really went on new. to create those things. Yeah. So, you know, it says in their wars, you know, we, they created and used weapons that eventually humans would duplicate. So did we come up with these ideas? Now, I want to say, and I can't remember the guy who said it. He was a scientist, obviously. I do feel that the ancient astronaut theory diminishes the accomplishments of mankind. I'm not an adherent to it. I don't think aliens came here and built the pyramids and gave us microwaves and things like that. I think humanity is perfectly capable of developing some amazing things. It's just, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, how did we go from to, it's, you know, we're, we're an innovative species. I mean, today, the advancements in technology you and I have seen in our lifetime. Oh my gosh. Would have been unimaginable to our grandparents, yeah. our great grandparents. So. Yeah. I remember trying when my uh, great grandmother was still alive, uh, rest her soul. She was, I think she lived to be 106 to sit down and have a conversation with her. And at that time I was a computer programmer, uh, at Detroit tool. And she, you know, she was asking me, well, what, what are you doing for a living? You know? And I said, well, I program on computers. And I mean, let's face it. She looks at me and she goes, explain this computer to me. And you know, the closest thing I could do is she loved to watch TV game shows. So it's like, okay, well, it's like your TV, but there's a, a typewriter keyboard that's hooked up to it, you know, and just trying to explain that. And you think about it and it's like, you know, she was 106 and her time frame. all of that has taken place. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's mind boggling. So with all this technology at their disposal and the development of humanity to, to act as a slave race, they created an ideal slave race that, that could develop and multiply in the way they wanted. And with all the innovations they gave us, of course, the numbers of humanity rose. Now, eventually, Enlil, one of the, the chief Anunnaki, felt that there was way too many people on Earth. Mm-hmm. And this, this population, you know. Getting out of hand. You can't have too many slaves or the slaves are going to take the, over. These slaves are feeling frisky and they're making more slaves. Now, as Nibiru once again passed close to Earth, Enlil saw an opportunity to thin the numbers of humanity. And again, we're going to get into some kind of, you know, potentially heretical thought here. But he was going to allow humanity to f- perish when. Entirely. When Nibiru passed overhead. And Nibiru passing overhead would create huge, massive tidal surges, which would pull tidal waves up across the land. Tsunamis. And flood the world. There's your flood. And so you have their great flood. Now, Inki, who had created humans and was, a, you know, the, 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 again, chief scientist there, he could not bear to see his creation destroyed. And so Inki took time to warn humanity and gave them an opportunity to save themselves. All they needed to do was build something that would survive the flood. How about a ship? Well, I, I believe I call it an ark in my notes. Okay. But, but as you can see, you know, we're drawing these parallels between some of the stories that you already heard and these stories that, that go with the Anunnaki history. Just like the story of Noah. Now, this caused a rift in the Anunnaki themselves. Again, Enlil felt that he should have been listened to. Inki Daddy kinda, said this. Yeah, and Inki I didn't went behind do his it. back. And. There's a lot more here I could go into, a lot more detail about, you know, who and what. But basically, this led to a series of wars that built into the succession wars between the Anunnaki. And these wars actually included ancient Egyptian deities who were themselves Anunnaki. I believe Horus was referenced, who eventually would become sort of the chiefest of the Anunnaki on Earth. But a lot of those ancient gods in those other cultures are viewed as Anunnaki, or, or at least half Anunnaki. You, there was a reference to Marduk. In in yes. mythological speak, Marduk was like two thirds god. It's kind of so, like 
you know, Zeus coming down and yeah. sleeping with human women. And so, well, yeah, yeah I mean, Hercules was like a, a God. Exactly. A demi, not a, goal, a, a demi God, yeah. as you, as some terms might say. So, so after a series of wars that sort of reduced the Anunnaki numbers and realizing that, you know, humanity was going to continue to grow unchecked and there wasn't much they can do. Uh, finally, Anu, the first, the Anunnaki, the one, you know, responsible for all the others that had come to earth. He told them as a whole, look, earth is to be inherited by the humans. Again, you see another parallel here. You know, mm-hmm. Earth is for humans. Mm-hmm. And so he told them, look, we're going to leave humanity. We're going to leave this planet. We're going to leave humanity to its own devices. But before we do, he instructed the Anunnaki, you know, pick certain places around the world and teach the, the humans that you find there, you know, knowledge of science and civilization. Give them an abil- a way to better themselves and, and allow them to survive. You know, they, they shared agriculture. They shared the values of civilization and science. And and finally, you know, the Anunnaki decided it, it's time to leave. And so as the Anunnaki left, they first settled on Mars. And I believe there were already bases on Mars that were in communication back and forth. I think that was the belief, yep. And and eventually they would finally go on to return to Nibiru and, and sort of just leave humanity to its own devices. Literally with, flushed and left. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, of course, like we said, the, the Anunnaki did interbreed with humanity to a certain degree. And, and we had, you know, the, these demigods and whatnot. And so the belief is, of course, that there are still Anunnaki remnants, if you will, amongst human civilization. Some people even go so far as to say the conspiracy theories about reptilian aliens mm-hmm. and them being in charge of the government goes back to the Anunnaki. And that's why I said, you know, I know a lot of people claimed Obama was a reptilian and blah, blah, blah. I swear the Anunnaki is kind of like the, the Masonic Lodge, the Masons. Well, they had our part in every, you know, everything from here on out. And, and, and this, like I said, this, this was primarily taken from Sitchin. And, uh, you know, other, other people who did that kind of work. But, and, and, and like I said, Sitchin says, does say that the Anunnaki will eventually return. And like I say, he thinks it's in like another thousand years or so, but you know, it is their intent to come back someday. So, you know, when you think about a lot of the stuff we've talked about, I know we talked about, um, the Fermi paradox Oh yeah, and, and us being sort of lost in the woods and, and maybe there's a reason we don't interact with aliens. Maybe we were just an experiment gone wrong. One of my this this kind of an aside, it's a little like one of those two-sentence horror stories that I've seen lately, but I've seen it a lot, and I, I get a kick out of it every time I see it. And it's about an alien spacecraft approaching a planet. And they're like, well, we started, we took the two most dangerous creatures we'd ever found, and we placed them on this planet, and we've come back to check on their status. We hope that they're dead. So the original two specimens, we referred to them as Adam and Eve. So let's go ahead and see what's down there now. <laughs> so I, I always get a kick out of that. as we tune in. But yeah, uh, you know, and, and like I said, you know, you've got the claims that, you know, was it David Ick, I believe, says that you know, the Anunnaki are still around and there are reptilian overlords. Well, and some people say, you know, that the Anunnaki bloodline still, you know, is in part, part of the people that's here. And maybe that's why people like Albert Einstein are able to achieve Nikola Tesla, you know, there, I mean, again, this is just the spider web that yeah. branches out trying to connect everything to the Anunnaki. I'm going to jump back in. Um, March of 1843 was kind of a key event when it comes to history and possibly connecting some of these crazy stories to actual historical physical proof. Uh, It was a key event when hundreds of similar tablet writings were discovered in a Sumerian temple. Now, the temple was in northern Iraq, uh, hidden in an underground chamber of an area called Korsaba. When they opened up this sealed chamber, it was a true sight to behold. The walls were covered with these writings as well as pictographs. 
There were statues of kings and strange gods, deities and demigods, hundreds of other clay-fired tablets that gave us the first glimpse of really understanding ancient Sumeria for the first time. Now, going back to my very early introduction of the war and stuff that was stolen, it was in fact some of these artifacts that were stolen and destroyed during the Iraqi War of 2003. Now, within 10 years of that discovery of those tablets in a secret underground chamber in Corsaba, archaeologists had also unearthed the Sumerian city of Ur, which Bill had alluded to earlier. Uh, now, this is the same in the biblical figure of Abraham. Now, at this site, the great Izrat of Ur, as it is called, it's a massive stepped pyramid, uh, was uncovered and the city capital's prime achievement of, of, of architecture, as well as more of these, what they are calling chiaform clay tablets. These are the ones with the ancient Sumerian, the oldest texts that we have, that we know of, that we've discovered thus far. And tombs attached to this Izarat of Ur pyramid, adorned with gold. Here's the connections of, of some gold. So the legendary city capital had finally been discovered, believed only previously to have been a myth for hundreds and hundreds of years prior. To put this crowning achievement into perspective, the ancient Sumerian culture is accredited for at least 100 key accomplishments in human history. Just a few of those include agriculture, medicine, mathematics, law, courts, judges, schools. Literally all of this shows up in ancient Sumeria and is recorded in these tablets right out of the Stone Age time. But how could this be going back 3,000, 4,000 years BC for this civilization as it pushed up against what we are taught is literally the Stone Age with primate large-skulled cavemen, you know, said to be wandering and hunting the earth. Yet here we have a very sophisticated developed city with pyramids and the citizens practicing all these things of law and education and medicine and such. Mainstream historians lead us to believe that Ur, the capital city, was taken over by a warring group approximately 2,000 years B.C. However, these clay chiaform tablets with this ancient Sumerian writing tell a different story. They tell of a group of or a race of the Anunnaki, or princely offsprings of gods, as some of the uh, depictions are related, which according to the ancient Sumerians descended from the skies. Now. Ancient Sumeria, like many civilizations, practiced religion around many deities, many often depicted as human-like, humanoid, with different interests, faucets, or the domain. As Bill was talking to, some of them had different interests of science and, and maybe law and agricultural, diff just different things that they were kind of put in charge of. These many gods did seem to uphold to a political style hierarchy, similar to that of ancient Sumeria and similar to what we even use today in government or organizations. So you had the high gods, literally of the heavens, and then beneath them were the lesser gods that inhabited the earth and lived alongside uh, the humans. Many of these would be the demigods. Now, the higher gods of the heavens were referred to directly as the Anunnaki, which were at the top of the food chain, so to speak. Then the lesser gods, or demigods, which can also be translated to the Nephilim could be giants or offsprings of the Anunnaki and humans crossbreeding. The Anunnaki are the most mysterious and unknown race of people, aliens, deities, whatever you want to call them, 
found and referenced today, still totally misunderstood. That's why we have all of these conspiracy theories, all these different thoughts and beliefs. Now, to the ancient Sumerians, they were of the heavens, those that came down from the stars and walked upon the earth. They could choose to assimilate into a human form if they wished to and then walk on earth. However, commonly, they were literally more of a spirit that could be felt or heard as if projecting themselves into different manifestations to communicate and share wisdom with the humans. The ancient Sumerians do reference they shared knowledge, but also resourced things from earth, as we had talked about, gold in particular, uh, that below the earth. And then that could be the reasons why they fathered, obviously, crossbred, as Bill was talking about, we were talking about earlier, slave servants basically to do their bidding to collect this gold for the Anunnaki. They were said to be great, powerful, possessing wisdom and knowledge of thousands of years and advancement of technology. They were not only powerful and all-knowing about Earth, but the galaxies, the cosmos, space, beyond literally everything. While they did travel in these great ships across the galaxy, they could also communicate with others far, far away, and some even seemed to possess the power to travel the cosmos at a blink of an eye. Now, where the Anunnaki got their knowledge or power, or where they actually came from, is still a bit of a mystery and one highly debated among scientists today. Now, some believe that this is the absolute proof of extraterrestrial or alien life forms visiting Earth. Yet some will say the Anunnaki are time travelers. They are the futuristic versions of us that are coming back sharing. It just gets crazy, folks. I mean, what, what part of the story do you want to believe? What rabbit hole do you want to dive down into? Well, that would, that would explain why they used our weapons that we have now. Yeah, they'd know all about that. I'm going to jump ahead to uh, Nineveh, Iraq, 1829, what I'm going to call the ancient Sumerian versions of the origins of man. We, we talked a little bit about this, but I want to get into it a little bit more detail. The treasure trove of ancient clay cuneiform tablets are again discovered, this time with direct reference to the origins of man and the lives of the gods. In 1829, archaeologists began to excavate the biblical city of Nineveh, and in doing so, they found the palace of Sennacherib, also mentioned in the Bible. Three years later, another palace was unearthed, which the next generation of the previous, more of these clay cuneiform tablets were found in both locations. Together, 20,000 to 30,000 of these such tablets were unearthed. Again, some of what was destroyed in the 2003 uh, during the Iraqi war that I talked about. Some of these tablets told of the Sumerian version of the creation of man that dated to approximately the 11th century BC. But almost certainly, its history dated far, far older. These tablets told the story of a god named, as Bill had mentioned, Marduk who took blood from another god named Kindu and then mixed that blood with clay in order to create the earth's first humans. Now, some will say this story gets picked up in the Bible, and obviously the first human is called Adam, and from his rib is taken to create a mate from the woman named Eve. Depending on who you speak with, and while controversial by nature, some will say the Bible's writers chose to leave out a good portion of the entire story in reflection to the Sumerian history. 
The Sumerian tablets, as well as the Mesopotamian tablets, have much, much more detail than what the Bible seems to have picked up, or I should say, left out, for whatever reason. Mainstream historians will jump in here and simply state the ancient Sumerian and ancient Mesopotamian origin story is just their version, like many other cultures. But others disagree, stating this was not fiction and is physically and scientifically the oldest documented origin of man ever found to date, predating the Bible. Some of these New Way thinkers use the fact that such a, a city could spring up from nowhere, literally in a time of the Stone Age man, that this is proof that something obviously changed, and it changed very quickly. Someone shared knowledge and wisdom, which is the only explanation of how we got from point A to point B, or literally from point A to point D in some instances. In the ancient Sumerian and Mesopotamian writings, our earliest ancestors recorded in the way that they knew how to explain. This was new for them, so some of their explanations, some of their depictions, we talked about the wristwatch-looking thing, they didn't know what they were drawing, they didn't know what they were explaining, so they were trying to relate this the best they could with what they knew at the time to depict and record their history. The Anunnaki did come from the heavens to the earth. They, they said that multiple different times in both Mesopotamia and Samaria. In the Bible, we do get a similar story. The one and only true God sent his son to earth to teach us their ways and share wisdom and knowledge. So is it really that different as we were talking about earlier? You know, some would say maybe it's not all that different. New York City, 1976. Bill had alluded to a Zechariah Sitchin author, researcher, published a book titled The Twelfth Planet. Sitchin studied the clay chaoform tablets of ancient Samaria for over 30 years, and from that research, he shared his controversial beliefs about the Anunnaki. He states the Anunnaki were extraterrestrials from the Twelfth Planet. He believed on the edge of our solar system who came to Earth about 450,000 years ago in Mesopotamia. Now, according to Sitchin's translations, the Anunnaki did create what would become modern man as well as play a role in the downfall of civilization in the means of the Great Flood. All of this we've kind of touched upon. Now, he believes the 12th planet in our solar system was Naburu, in which the atmosphere had become damaged in their technology through the centuries, and they used gold to repair that. Now, he went on to theorize that they were the ones that upgraded the human race and used them as slaves or servants to mine this gold, a prized treasure even today, and obviously in Egypt and, and Aztec and Inca, there's all this mention of gold and treasure and, and all this. So maybe they are the ones that left this residence of how important gold was. And while the Anunnaki left, so maybe that's why they still continued to mine, collect, and adorn their temples and, and walls and stuff with this. Now, Sitchin actually went on and he wrote uh, many books that were pretty well received about the Anunnaki. However, his challenging theories were not all well-received by main, mainstream science, as you can imagine. Going back to some of the ancient clay chiaform tablets, there are references of the Anunnaki telling the humans of their homeworld, which was called Naburu. But it was so hard for humans to understand that part that the translation he believed was even lost, or part of it was lost. For you see, it wasn't really a planet to him. It was more of a star? or more importantly, a portal or gateway. Now, I have seen where, and I think we're going to defer on pronunciation, but, but Nibiru is the way I've been saying it. But I have seen reference to it being like a dwarf star okay. that sort of circulates, and I've also seen reference to it being a 
what they call rogue black hole, which could be a portal. We don't yeah. really know what happens. Yeah, when you what go happens through. with a black hole? Correct. So, yeah, I mean, modern interpretations being what they are, I mean, either one of those, possibly. But uh, here we are today struggling to understand the concept. Imagine that many years yeah. ago, people trying to comprehend and carve this into stone tablets. Well, again, and when such. you say it's the 12th planet, you're also including the moon, which we, we don't call a planet. You're including the sun, which mm-hmm. we know to be a star. You're including Pluto, which we no longer call a planet. So He's a poser. Yeah. You know, again, it was, it, was, it was filtered through their lens, the way they understood things. Now, again, I mentioned it before, and I keep going back to it, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but it, like to me, it totally reminds me of the science fiction movie, popular series, Stargate. I mean, you know, all these portals and these aliens traveling through and, and coming and visiting and taking what they want. And, you know, Sitchin stated that Naburu was used by the Anunnaki that traveled the cosmos through such portals, or stargates, if you want to use the word, as their means of travel. Even more interesting is Sitchin's research uh, reveals the star, planet, portal, whatever you want to know, uh, call it, uh, Naburu, the Anunnaki's home doorway is what he describes it as, rotates around the solar system and comes into uh, orbit with Earth every approximate 3,450 years. Uh, Bill had thrown out a number there. I think it was a little different from that. He claims the next visit is scheduled to be in the year of 2,900. Now, could the Anunnaki come to visit us again? Or have they possibly even ceased to exist in this time frame? Or perhaps they think we have become extinct ourselves, to Bill's point. We've left the two most deadliest creatures, Adam and Eve. Let's go back and see if they've killed each other. We hope they have. Some believe this could even be the next big human evolutionary jump. If they return, once again, will they share knowledge and wisdom like they did with us previously? Obviously, there was a division of some of them. Which ones are going to visit us? What were their underlying you know, thoughts? What did they want us to become? Are the ones that visited us hope that we died? Or are they the ones that tried to save our mankind and are going to be happy or very displeased with what we have done with our second chance? Now, before I close, there was another discovery that I thought was interesting enough to share. This goes to southeast Iraq in 1927. And I may mispronounce this as I am notorious for doing many words. Queen Puafa. While excavating the city of Ur in Iraq, a queen's tomb and mummy were discovered and she was not a normal-looking queen or a mummy. There were depictions on the tomb walls of strange-looking humanoid creatures with these large, elongated skulls, almost like that of a dome or a conehead, reminiscent of those 1970s Saturday Night Live conehead skits. But back to the findings. The queen's mummy was examined under x-ray, and it was found she herself had such a cone-style head, it was predominant. Perhaps she was, or possibly could have been, a direct descendant, one of the oldest of the first offspring of the Anunnaki. Because depictions state that when the Anunnaki did come from the heavens, and they did choose to take a more humanoid form, often that feature seemed to be a constant, a larger skull that kind of set them apart so if you walked, you know, on a street across from them, they, they're going to be noticeable. You know, bear with me here. From an evolutionary standpoint, that is sort of the thing that sets humans apart from other primates, too. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason why childbirth is so difficult for people, because our heads are so big when, when we're born. Right. 
So it is kind of interesting that that would be considered like their defining trait is, oh, their, their heads were too big. Yep, yep, yep. In recent years, this started to get more and more attention. This queen, Queen Puafi, is the first dynasty queen and priestess, meaning obviously she goes back the furthest in history that we know of, meaning she would almost certainly be the closest related to the offspring of the Anunnaki, if we're going to believe that, and of the DNA genetics of we'll call Generation 1 or G1. Now, some of these similar conehead skulls have also been unearthed in other regions all over the world, including like Peru. If we go back into any history, no matter where in the world of mythology, there is common threads that life and or knowledge came from the stars and the heavens. Angels were winged humanoids that came down from the heavens. Maybe they truly had wings. Or perhaps this was symbolism, meaning they flew down from the heavens. Regardless, the similarities are hard to dispute. Is, is it time for headlines, Eric? I believe it is. Well, mine sort of ties directly into all of this. From IFL Science by James Felton, August 21st, 2023. Conspiracy theorist has an explanation after Nibiru failed to destroy Earth last week. <laughs> so he predicted Nibiru would hit Earth, telling his followers, I am heading for the caves. Mike Buckner announced the end of the world on Twitter. I love that sentence. <laughs> announced it on Twitter. On Twitter. Where else would you announce it? It's official here. He spent the week before Nibiru was supposedly going to hit, warning as many people as he could to seek shelter, telling the world, few will survive before one final, I am headed for the caves tweet. <laughs> this is his whole tweet from August 17th, 2023. And this is all caps, by the way. So this is him yelling he into is, the void. He is yelling this. The final 24 hours of civilization, Nibiru approaches. The pole shift is coming. Floods, quakes, fires. Head for shelter. Caves, bunkers, alert your family. Friends, neighbors, few will survive. I am headed for the caves. Good luck. Now, as we know by now. Mic dropped. Just yeah. As we know by now, of course, the world did not end in August. And, of course, people, you know, a lot of people say it's because Nibiru does not exist. A statement from NASA in 2012 the last time people were worried about Nibiru coming, said, in quote, Nibiru and other stories about wayward planets are an internet hoax. There is no factual basis for these claims. If Nibiru or Planet X were real and headed for an encounter with Earth, astronomers would have been tracking it for at least the past decade, and it would be visible by now to the naked eye. Obviously, it does not exist. Obviously. Course, that's what they're going to tell you. They wouldn't tell you the world was about to end. That right? would create panic. Yes. People might lose money before they're vaporized. Like we discussed earlier, for Nibiru to pass through every 3,600 years would require a weird elongated orbit that crosses Earth's own orbit. And according to Professor Mike Brown at the California Institute, if a planet were on the elongated orbit Nibiru is said to have, we would have seen it by now. If the planet had the orbit that it is ascribed to it, it would only last for about a million years before it came too close to Jupiter and got ejected out of our solar system. So that's the scientific explanation for why we weren't all annihilated in August. Which, you know, that would have been way too close to my birthday. I don't need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a heck of a way to blow the candles out. So why weren't we destroyed? Well, here's what Mike Buckner has to say. Oh, he's back. Uh, it, it's difficult to follow up. We're all going to die. I'm headed for the caves. But he tried. He gave it a shot, explaining that the physics worked, but he got the shape of Earth wrong. Buckner's explanation in a tweet dated August 19th, 2023. I thought I was right. I thought Nibiru was coming. The physics worked. What didn't work was my fundamental understanding of reality. I now know the truth. We live on a flat plane. 
We live underneath a firmament. Flat earther. The globalists lie for control. More to come. Now, for good measure, Buckner attached a map that included Atlantis, an area known as the Scorched Wastes, and the walls of Asgard stretching towards the abyssal ocean. So the conclusion we can draw from all this is, either Nibiru was on course to collide with Earth and the physics work, but it was wrong that Earth is in fact flat, or Nibiru doesn't exist and it never did. Hmm. Yeah, six of one half doesn't. Spend the bottle, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, on my headline, I found an article online from Newsweek. It was dated December 19th, 2022, asking a question that definitely caught my eye because I've given several references to it tonight. Did U.S. invade Iraq to access the ancient Stargate? It's been nearly two decades since the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003, but theories into the U.S. rationale behind the invasion continue to spread. Since the invasion, many hypotheses have been floated around. From the official line about preventing the proliferation of weapons of mass destructions to others by the war critics to involve what we thought was probably more about oil and geopolitical interests. The complexity behind the rationale for the U.S. military operation has also triggered a variety of conspiracy theories, and we love conspiracy theories here on this show. One such theory was from a Reddit post in particular related to the ziggurat of Ur, which we talked about, the ancient pyramid-like structure that uh, we, we talked about earlier in the podcast. The U.S. justified the invasion by claiming Iraq was hiding weapons of mass destructions and thus posing a you know, major security threat. But while Iraq possessed such weapons during the Iran-Iraq War, uh, from the time frame of like 1980 to 1988, they no longer did in 2003 at the time of the war. Now, again, depending on where you get your sources, did they have it? Did they hide it? But I'm just reading the article. What we know for sure is that the U.S. Uh, has always had longstanding geopolitical interests in the greater Middle Eastern area. Jason Opel, a professor of history at McGill University, told Newsweek, and I quote, These interests are mostly, although not entirely, about access to oil, not just in terms of securing that oil for U.S. consumers and corporations, but also in denying that same oil from enemy nations, such as Russia or China. End quote. He goes on to say, especially after the invasion of Kuwait on August 2nd, 1990, Saddam Hussein, formerly a U.S. ally against Iran, became a major threat to these interests, and his general brutality and unpredictability made him unacceptable to many U.S. leaders. Until 2001, the U.S. resolved to contain and isolate Hussein about the events of 9-11, which gave President George W. Bush a pretext to replace him with force. Now, Jason Opel, the professor that I mentioned uh, from McGill University, he goes on to state, The evidence indicates that the Bush administration severely stressed the evidence of Hussein's terrorist ties and nuclear program, selling this as the war to the U.S. public on exaggerated claims, if not outright lies. But there is absolutely no reason to imagine any other hidden motives. Their purpose was to destroy Hussein's regime, implant U.S.-friendly government, and promote U.S., and by extension, Israeli dominance over the region, period, full stop. That was his quote. There are plenty of reasons to be skeptical about the Bush administration's, uh, as he stated, and actually uh, reasons for launching that war. But there are also plenty of reasons to explain the underlying reasons of falling into a fact-free conspiracy theory. So, This guy, obviously not a fan of of George (laughs) W. Bush, 
He's saying he exaggerated, blew everything out of proportion, but he's also not saying, yeah, they did it to go grab a Stargate for the war. Well, the pretext of weapons of mass destruction was pretty much shot down anyway. Yeah. So we we know we didn't have the intelligence for that. So there there was definitely more to it than what we said. Agreed. Agreed. So again, we present the story. We let you guys decide. Nibiru's on its way. We know that. How Zachariah Sitchin says we got a thousand years. Far be it for me to, you know, criticize the expert guesser or whatever he may have been. <laughs> but let's say the governments of the world came forward and said, okay, look, it's on its way. End of days, days are numbered. End of days. Say so you have a year. Like, how do you spend your year? This is the kind of crap that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I mean, seriously, is it better to know or to not know and live? I know my, my opinion is not. I would, if, if, if all life on earth was going to be obliterated tomorrow, I don't think I'd want to know. I, I think, and I'm being straight up honest here. If, if I was told by, you know, government or whoever that, Hey, it's the end of world's coming. You got a year, probably the first couple months I'd be like, you know, let's, let's go do these things that we've talked about doing our entire life. And I wouldn't be so bad worried about bill collectors coming and getting me. We're yeah. racking up credit cards, whatever. But man, as that six month point crossed and we got whittled down to three months, I would probably have a stroke or a heart attack just worrying about things, you know, how do you handle for that? Well, there's so many movies about it, right? Like you get that, was it Greenland or whatever with Ger- Gerard Butler? Yes. Yes. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yep. It's actually it's a pretty a, good it's movie. It's not bad. Um, or like Deep Impact or, or any of these movies where you're talking about like this cataclysmic end of the world kind of event. Armageddon even. Yeah. Like for one, I think people would go crazy. I think they would. And so you're sitting here talking about like, oh, I'd go do this. I'd go do that. But for the I don't first know few if you months. could get away with it. And yeah, the closer you get to the end, the worse it's going to be. And I'm kind of like you, like, would you want to know? I don't think I'd want to know. And I can understand why the governments wouldn't want to tell us. Yeah. But I also, you know, the conspiracy part of my brain goes, well, they're not going to tell us because they're going to be building these devices to get, you know, the rich and wealthy off the planet. Their arc versions of yeah. spaceships or well, whatever. Was it in, in, um, was it 2012? I think is the one with the giant yeah, ships. The giant maybe? metallic arc, yeah. like Noah's ark. So yes. I, I can totally buy it. Like I, the, like I said, the conspiracy part of me already buys into that too. So I, I don't know. Like I, I'm probably like you at first. I wouldn't think much about it, but as it got closer, like, well, let's face it, mankind. We're I don't think the Anunnaki would be very pleased with us with what we have done. We're a cruel world, and as as I think we would get closer to that deadline. We've saw just in the past three, five years, people would just, I think, start rioting and stealing and killing. There's no, I mean, why, why would there, I don't care if I kill somebody to take what I want, they're going to end my life. I'm going to die in three months anyhow. So I solidly believe humanity will destroy itself before anybody else has a chance to. Yeah. Whether through war or or some kind of cataclysmic accident or whatever, there's actually a, a book that I bought once upon a time I'd heard about it on. Coast to Coast AM, which, you know, shout out to the originator and I think why we're all here doing what we're doing. Absolutely. But it was about like potential doomsday scenarios and like the most likely ways that humanity was going to destroy itself. And one was like, you know, nanorobots gone wild, disease gone wild, climate change gone wild. I mean, the big ones that we already probably worry about for the most part. And I'm sorry, you know, and and I don't want to be political. I'm not trying to, to whatever. We've already demonstrated that if there was a disease running rampant in this world, half the world would believe it was fake and not do anything to try to stop it anyway. You know, I mean, we talked about how when COVID was a thing that like, oh, well, there was hardly any flu that year. 
<laughs> well, that's because we were all wearing masks and trying to stay away from each other. Yeah, it was kind of a oh. side effect of yeah, of, like of one kind of related to the other. So yeah, my my thing is, I one, I think we'll destroy ourselves way before something like Nibiru happens. But two, like if 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 I knew my time on Earth was limited, again, would you spend it worrying about what was going to happen? Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know what the right answer there is. I don't either. That's a tough question. It's a good question, but it's a tough question. Like I said, that kind of stuff keeps me up at night. Uh, at this point in time, as we close up this, uh, another episode, I wanted to give a shout out to Landon Elmer. Uh, he reached out to us this week on our Facebook page and, uh, we had a little conversation. He, he shared some possibilities for some future, uh, podcasts. Now, Landon Elmer, uh, he hails from Adrian, Missouri, just, uh, Northwest of us here. And, uh, sounds like he's been kind of a long-term listener and he's uh, helping us spread the information about the podcast. And I just want to give a shout out to him for reaching out for us, uh, talking to us and uh, all the nice words he said about us and give us some great possibilities for some future podcasts. So great big shout out to Landon Elmer. And that in conclusion, we hope that you've enjoyed yet another episode of what we call Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Hey, real quick call to action. I think Eric would agree. We'd like to grow this nightmares on the lost highway absolutely if you could if you're listening on apple if you would go and give us a review and, and rate us uh, if you have some feedback that's fine too uh whatever whatever platform you're listening follow us rate us give us some reviews that helps get some recognition and gets our name out there we do have a facebook page nightmares on the lost highway you can easily find us if you want to communicate with us if you want to share some uh possibilities for future podcasts with us you know reach out we want to talk with you guys we're having a hard time finding stuff on Anunnaki. uh i came across a clipping and it talked about jesus being a, a Anunnaki. oh yeah yeah and i was like okay this may be crossing we, even my boundary oh monitor monitor oh, oh, I, we want to babysit it for our own peace of mind we want to babysit the monitor no no. He doesn't even do that when we're recording. Yeah, sometimes. I don't do that while I'm recording. Why the hell would I do it before we record? Your audio was super low on one of the ones that I was editing, and it was like I had to punch up the volume twice to get I, you where I needed you. I listened to the Grand Canyon, the one that just dropped last night after D&D and finished it this morning, and I thought, man, I am loud. I am swallowing that microphone. That's I had to bring it up. because you turned it up. Because half the time. <clears throat> well, and I noticed it when we were recording. I didn't even think about it in hindsight, but there were a lot of times where you'd be talking. And you would start talking to me, and you would, uh, like, dude, get, get back. Like, I wasn't even thinking about it at the time. You're crossing the line. I was involved <laughs> in the conversation, so. I get into it sometimes. <laughs> then I talk about the flood story, which I think we pretty much covered, and I move into the headline. As lost. What the heck is going on? Testing, testing, testing. Maybe I just need to yell more. I'm going to go Southern Baptist Auctioneer. I think there's a short somewhere because you're still picking up, so your microphone's working. I just hope when you go to record it, it's enough there to. Well, that's what I'm saying. Your microphone's still picking up. It's just you. It's <laughs> just that I'm, I'm like this tall on my little it, blip, and you're four times that. It's always that way, though. Until 2001, the U.S. resolved to contain and isolate Hussein, but in the events of 9 11, Hussein. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. 
I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love. But we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.